we're in the middle of a series called Unplugged, rediscovering real life in the middle of a world full of technology and devices. Uh, if you are like me, hopefully this series is a real gift for you because uh, I am a self-admitted phone addict. Uh, and tripping over wires and stuff. All right, so uh, it is a problem in my life. It has been for a little while, but man, over the past month and a half, this has been transforming for me. Uh, And I really hope that it's transformative for you as well. Uh, It's not hard to see that we're saturated with technology in our culture. You know what I'm saying? And it's ironic. I I ask you guys to pull out your phones and go to Facebook and all that because, uh, you know, but we wanna get this message out. Anyway, it is saturated. Our culture right now is saturated with technology. Everywhere you go, you're noticing people on their phones. I mean, yesterday I was watching my kids' soccer game and we're sitting on the sidelines and I'm looking around and the kids are having a great time playing with soccer ball. Everybody else is doing this. You know, while their kids are playing soccer, enjoying the great outdoors, enjoying nature and and athletics and all that, we're just stuck on our phones. Okay, so if you don't think that's you, Stats say that people check their phones every four to six minutes, sending as many as 100 texts a day. Maybe that's not you, but maybe it is. And not only do we check our phones that often, but we we consume anywhere from about five and a half to 10 hours of digital media every single day. And if you're a teenager, it's likely a lot higher than that. Uh, According to a Pew study back in 2015, this is four years ago, Every single minute on this planet, 400 hours of video are uploaded to YouTube. Every minute. Tinder has millions of profiles that get swiped every single minute. And every minute, billions of likes are uploaded on Facebook. It's crazy how consolidated our entire life is on digital media and online uh, connectivity these days. Our calendars, our cameras, our pictures, our works, our workouts, we read and write, uh, communicate. We do our online banking. You know, we, we shop. We even have food now showing up at our doors because of online connectivity. I mean, so much of our waking lives is consumed now with technology and utilizing that. We are constantly connected. Now, I don't know about you guys, I I issued a challenge last week um, that in all of your down moments, whether you're at a grocery store checkout line or at the doctor's office while you're waiting for things, like resist the urge to, did anybody do that? Like anybody practice this week of like resisting pulling out their phone? Was that a crazy exercise or what? Now, if you haven't done it, if you didn't do it this past week, I really encourage you to do it. And in those moments where you're just like, you want to pull it out and you want to look at it, examine why. Think to yourself, man, why am I so drawn in this moment? Why, why am I just, do I want to just pull this out and look at it? Is it boredom? Is it feeling vulnerable? Because I feel like nowadays we're, we've convinced ourselves we can't go anywhere without our mobile phone. You know, it was only 15 years ago that very few of us had smartphones. In fact, nobody 15 years ago had smartphones. We can actually live without this stuff. So the big question for us in this whole series is, what does God have to say about how we use technology? What does he have to say to to help us live in healthy rhythms and not be dependent on certain things that actually might rob us of life more than we think that they do? And the big question for today, last week we looked at healthy character and resisting certain things, resisting lesser things in order to say yes to greater things. Today we're going to talk about this. In a world of constant busyness and connectivity, how do you find rest for your soul? When everybody says, go, 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 check, 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 how do you actually stop 
and sit in the quiet and the silence and the empty space long enough to recover our soul. So that's where we're going to be today, uh, but we're also going to reassess what real resting is, because if you're like me, you're tempted to think that uh, just vegging out at the end of the day is resting. You know what I'm saying? Like, at the end of the day, you're just exhausted. You get home from work. You've been playing with your kids, you know, whatever it is. Like, at that moment where you exhale and the kids are down, or that moment where you exhale and you're finally by yourself, it's just like, <sighs> Okay. And like an hour goes by or Netflix, like you've been binging for hours and like it has that really embarrassing, are you still watching? You know, that pops up there. Uh, We have to reassess what real rest is and whether or not looking at a screen is actually really, truly restful. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, here's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 because Jesus has two different moments in Luke chapter 6 where uh, he encounters some religious leaders about a particular day that was incredibly special back then and should be very special to us today, known as the Sabbath. Two different encounters. Luke chapter 6, go ahead and open up your Bibles. It's really important. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have Bibles in the back that you can open up and look at. Um, Then you can even take it home if you wanted to. Um, If you really need a Bible, go ahead and throw your hand up there. We get people in the back who can get you one. If not, some of this is going to be on the screen. That's totally cool too uh, because we're addicted to our screens. So uh, there's a little shame before we get into our message. You're welcome. All right. Um, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And um, here's the three questions that we're going to ask today. When it comes to rest and Sabbath rest, the big question first is, why do we need it? Why do we need this kind of Sabbath rest? Why does our soul need rest? Why can't we just keep going? Second, where do we get it? Where are we going to go to actually find the kind of rest that we really, really need? And then third, practically, we're going to get very practical, is how? How do we engage this? All right. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and then eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, what are you doing? Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, we're going to get into this in just a second here, but uh, what the Pharisees are saying is not what is unlawful, meaning like picking somebody else's grain and eating it. That was actually okay. In Deuteronomy 23, there was actually provision in the Old Testament law that said as long as you're not uh, reaping it with some sort of a sickle, you can actually go up to anybody's grain field, pick some grains with your hands and eat it. That was totally okay, totally okay in the first century. What they had a problem with was the day that they were picking the grain on. It was the Sabbath. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now we're going to get into that in just a second, but there's another moment here, another encounter about the Sabbath that we got to read as well. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everybody. And so he got up and he stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hands. And he did so. And his hand was completely 
restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, here's the first thing. Again, what the Pharisees and the religious leaders had a really big problem with when Jesus went around picking grain and eating it was not that they were picking the grain and eating it. That was okay. It was the day of the week that they had a really hard time with. Why? Well, because back in Exodus 20, uh, the Ten Commandments went out, and one of the Ten Commandments was, you shall do no work on the Sabbath. One day a week, you're not supposed to do any work. And so what the religious elite did, which the religious leader just so good at doing, is they came up with rules. Okay, what does it mean to work? What does it mean to not work? And how do we regulate that? How do we manage it? How do we make sure that we're crossing every T and dotting every I? We're going to set up rules for our rules. And so what they came up with was 39 different things that counted as work. And if you did any one of those 39 things, you crossed the line and you violated the Sabbath. And so they're looking at Jesus and his disciples picking the heads of grain. And according to their halakha, their, their uh, commentary about the Old Testament at that time, they said, look, you just violated the Sabbath by picking heads of grain. Now, here's what is so fascinating with what Jesus did in this moment. Jesus did it, like, because it'd be so easy for us to look at the religious elite and say, man, they're so legalistic. They're so moralistic. Like, they're just, they're awful people. Why are they always setting up all these rules and boundaries just to kind of snub people and let them know, you know, we're better than you are? But that's not what Jesus does in this moment. What does he do? He doesn't say the Sabbath is stupid. He doesn't say it's worthless to actually engage the Sabbath. He says at the very end of his first response to them, he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Meaning the Sabbath is extremely good. I created it, Jesus says, and I made it for you. I'm Lord of it. There's something incredibly powerful and significant about the Sabbath. What he was doing in some ways was he was saying, you need this. I'm Lord of it. I get to control this. You need this. Now we're going to get into why Jesus confronted them the way that he did in just a second. But we have to understand first, uh, why? Why? Why do we need the Sabbath? Now, it's not hard to see that across the centuries, and particularly now in the 21st century, we have become out of whack in our relationship to work. What's one of the first things people say when you ask them, hey, how are you doing? Just so busy, you know, so busy. Like my life is just so important. I am so busy and I'm really tired because I'm working myself like crazy because I'm really important. I'm so busy. You know what I'm saying? It's such a go-to. I mean, besides people just saying like, yeah, life is good. When they actually start getting a little real, they're like, yeah, my life is busy. Why? Because there's some sort of a status that we associate with overwork. It, like if you were to, to tell somebody, if they asked you, how are you doing? You'd be like, yeah, I did nothing yesterday. Nothing. Don't really know why, just nothing. Like at that point, there'd probably be some sort of an insecurity on the inside of you if you're like me. It's like, man, my life's not really worth that much because I didn't do anything. We value status, we value significance based on busyness and overworking. It is not hard to see that we pride ourselves on overwork and we're out of whack when it comes to work. Now, it was only 40 or 50 years ago, guys, here in America, that most stores were closed on Sundays. You know that? About a generation or so, most stores were not open. 
And yet now, like, it's hard to find anywhere that's not open on a Sunday. Anybody else miffed that Chick-fil-A does not open their doors on a Sunday? Like, man, I got to jump in that massive line because it's crazy. You know, and like, look, Saturdays are mad, madhouse over at Chick-fil-A because everyone's like, quick, get your Christian chicken in before Sunday. You know, but like we get miffed because we've got 24-hour convenience stores, 24-hour pharmacies, 24-hour gas stations. You know, we are just miffed if we can't get what we want when we want it. And beyond that, the physical brick and mortar stores, we've got our smartphones that connect us anywhere, anytime. We always have things at our access. One writer put it this way, the lonely Sunday has been replaced by the overscheduled Sunday, the soccer Sunday, the little league Sunday, the yoga class Sunday, the catch up around the house Sunday. Instead of actually taking a moment to breathe and sit, we've overcrowded everything in our life. And it's, a, it's one more moment to squeeze something in. I, recently, I came across an article this week and it's been fascinating. And I mean, I'm going to try to squeeze all this in today because this has been like, it's wrecked me this week. And I just hope to do justice to what I feel like God is teaching me about the Sabbath. But I ran across this article written by a Jewish lady named Judith Shulevitz in New York City. Uh, she, she, she entitled it, Bring Back the Sabbath. Fascinating article. If you want to read it, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, she grew up Jewish but really resented how rigorous the Jewish disciplines were early on. And so she kind of walked away from it because it was just so strict. And one of the things she walked away from was this strict Sabbath observance, worship on Friday night and then into Saturday. And she just devoted herself to her professional life and some of her goals and all that. And what she learned as she went into New York City to go pursue all of that was that she had overcrowded her life so much that she had started to lose her soul. And she put it this way, the relentless quest for romance and professional success made me feel impossibly restless. She noticed that, again, we just, our our culture pegs workaholism with status and significance. And so she thought, man, if I'm just busy, if I'm constantly busy my life with all sorts of different things and constantly connected, then I'm going to find worth in who I am. And she found out she was starting to lose her soul. And as she was searching and her curiosity brought her to different places, she really started researching this whole concept of Sabbath. And ironically, the place that she had rejected as a kid, she came back because she started realizing that there's some value there. And this is what she found when she started researching Jews and Christians celebrating the Sabbath. She said, when people celebrate the Sabbath, not only did drudgery give way to festivity, family gatherings and occasional worship, but the, and this is deep language, okay? We're going to unpack this in a second. But the machinery of self-censorship shut down too, stilling the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. And you're like, wow, that's a mouthful. What in the world did she just say? This is what she's saying. That when we're constantly going and constantly connected and go, 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 and we never shut our minds or our bodies down at all, whether it's work or online, one of the things that drives us in there is to say, man, if I'm constantly doing, then my life is going to be worth it. That if I'm not constantly going, that I don't know if I actually have any personal value anymore. That's that stilling of the inner murmur, that self-reproach that says to herself, I am nothing if I'm missing out. I'm nothing if I'm constantly, if I'm not constantly doing something. And here's the crazy thing, like the Sabbath was meant to create that quiet space that says you're okay if you do nothing, if you just rest and you quiet your mind and your soul. But technology has all but eliminated that quiet, still space. Has it not? 
I mean, everywhere we go, the temptation to pull out our phone and just look at something in those down moments, those quiet little spaces, it's all but done. This is how out of whack we are in America right now. Ready? These are the stats. Only 14% of people actually set aside one day a week to rest. 14%. That means 86% of our country right now has, they set aside no day to actually rest. 12%. Only 12 intentionally set aside time daily where they don't touch electronics. Intentional time where they've marked it out. 16% commit to time alone every day, meaning uh, time alone uh, for themselves. And, you know, 80% say that they don't, take, they don't make any time for God. We are desperately afraid of quiet. Desperately afraid of no noise. I mean, I was walking down the path over at Mind Falls the other day, and I'm walking down, it's in the middle of nature, and there's this couple that's walking down the street with music blasting from one of their pants pockets. I mean, we see it all the time, right? People walking down the street, and like, even if they're just enjoying outside, they've got to have some noise going, some sort of connectivity. We're desperately afraid of quiet and silence. It's the first thing that we look at in the morning, and it's the last thing we look at at night. This is what the stats say, right? 62% check their phone first thing in the morning. And what are they checking? They're checking their email, and they're checking texts. 74%, they check their email first thing in the morning. The last thing at night, 41% say they watch TV or check social media as the last thing that they do every day. And, and, and for those who, who actually go to bed with their phones and sleep with their phones, uh, 70% uh, of parents sleep with their phones, 72% of preteens sleep with their phones, and 82% of teens sleep with their phones. We don't go anywhere without this. And the crazy thing is that we're robbing our souls of the rest that we really need. And what we do is we convince ourselves that if I'm constantly busy and constantly connected, I'm going to find the life that I really want because if I don't, I'm going to miss out on something, right? Is that FOMO? Anybody else got FOMO? Anybody else? Yes. Like, look, in that moment where I'm in the doctor's office waiting, I'm thinking to myself, oh man, I could miss something, you know, like, and I check my sports team or I check like, you know, my friends and be like, man, I could, I could get something in this moment. I could get something. But in in wanting to get something in that moment, we actually rob ourselves of the beauty of quiet. Charity and I joke about this all the time, but when I'm in the the car um, with her, Charity loves to be quiet. She loves to just sit quiet in the car, and I'm always like like looking at her as I'm driving, and like, you gonna say something now? Like, you know, because I love to talk. Like, we just, I love talking. And Charity's like, I get one moment in the day to get quiet, okay? One moment. Don't interrupt it. Like, Got it. Okay. So that's how we are in the car. Um, But here's what happens, okay? When we look to things, digital devices and social media and technology and all that to try to get what we're looking for, this is what happens. Ready? Um, Cal Newport, uh, he's a professor. I I can't remember where he is. Um, Brilliant professor. He wrote this best-selling book called Deep Work. Uh, We're going to get into deep work a little bit more next week. But this is what he says. Social media and digital devices, uh, their services are engineered to be addictive. Robbing time and attention from activities that more directly support your professional and personal goals. If you use these tools enough, this is what he says, you ready? You'll arrive at the state of burned out, hyper-distracted connectivity. Guys, we are, we've lost it in our culture right now when it comes to creating quiet, still spaces, empty spaces for our souls to just breathe. And in that distraction, what we've done is we've robbed ourselves from the opportunity for the God of the universe to start speaking to us 
We can't even hear our own souls, let alone hear the voice of God. And so as Isaiah explains, in that restless state of distraction and wandering away from God and constantly filling our minds and our our schedules with busyness, it says the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. If we're constantly reacting to the external world around us, do we have any room left to listen to the internal world of our soul? Do we even know what it says anymore? Have we, have we listened to what our soul is crying out for? Here's the crazy thing about your soul. Are you ready for this? It's not loud. It'll never scream at you. Digital ads and technology and media, it, it's always going to try to get your attention all day long. But your soul will never demand that. You've got to sit in the quiet in order to find it. So the big question is where? Where do we go to actually find this kind of rest? So let's get back to Jesus. Because when the Pharisees first asked Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you picking grain on the Sabbath? When, you, when, when in their law, there's like, this is outlawed. You can't do this. This is how Jesus responded again. Ready? I'm going to read it again. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did? David, the patriarch David, like who, who all the Jews looked to and said, this is the man that we ought to model our life after. He's the one who's a, like after God's own heart himself. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, something that wasn't lawful. He ate what was lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. This is the crazy thing. When David was hungry and he was fleeing for his life from Saul back in 1 Samuel 21, he's running for his life and he goes to the priest's place and he's like, we're hungry. And the priest on the Sabbath had a whole bunch of bread that they would lay out. They'd lay out these 12 pieces of bread every single Sabbath day. Uh, And it was not just any bread. It was called the bread of the presence, meaning like this was the bread that was supposed to connect us somehow or remind us of the presence of God. And David's like, I'm hungry. Can I have some? And he had some. Not once is he reproached in all of scripture for having done that. Nobody called him out and said that was wrong. Why? It's a really cool thing. Scholars, uh, commentators, actually what they say is that uh, in that moment, when he reinterpreted the law and said, this is, this is a different way, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna actually break it and bend it. Um, we, don't, we don't ever see God saying, it's okay to break the law in any, really, any other instance. It's not like, you know, it says, do not murder. And we're like, well, we're gonna just break the law in that moment. I'm gonna murder right now. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, or, you know, do not commit adultery in another moment. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna commit adultery in this moment. Well, you know, you know it's just the circumstances. It's totally cool. Like, that's not what happens. What happens in this moment is it says, it points us to a bigger picture that the bread here that they weren't supposed to eat, that only priests were supposed to eat, that was provisional and temporary. Meaning that it pointed to something even greater that when that was fulfilled, it would do away with that practice. Meaning this, Jesus fulfilled that. When Jesus hit the scene, he completely fulfilled it. He is our great high priest. He said, I am the bread of life. And so when Jesus hit the scene, no longer were we bound to, to you know, reserve some sort of bread for priests that we couldn't eat. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. You can eat on me and I'm gonna connect you to the very presence of God. And so David was able to reinterpret the Old Testament law because he knew that in the future, he was resting on the fact that something greater was going to take place. And in that moment, what Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying. 
when he brings this all up with the Pharisees, he says, when you're looking for real rest, you're looking for it in all the wrong places. You've got to come to me. Because only when you start resting your soul in me are you actually going to experience the kind of Sabbath rest that God has designed us to experience. Only that. Now, for some of us in this room, you've never understood a relationship with Jesus. You've, under, you've never understood that when you place your hope and your, and your trust and your faith in Jesus, that you actually get to experience a giant exhale for your soul. That you get to actually be friends with the God of the universe. Some of us in this room, though, you've been a Christian for a long time and you still can't get out of the place where you're restless on a day in and day out basis. Something inside of your soul is so anxious and so restless and like you just feel like you've got to constantly be doing and going and doing and going and connected. And here's what Jesus wants to say to us. You've never really understood. If that's where you are right now, we don't understand the resources that we have in the gospel. Because when we come to Jesus, we can actually find rest in the middle of no matter what kind of crazy season you're going into. So here's what we got to understand. We have to radically redefine what rest is, okay? This goes all the way back to the beginning, ready? I'm going to give you maybe a brand new definition of what rest is. At the very beginning, was work a problem? No. God created the world in six days and he actually called humans to work before the fall happened. Work was a good thing, but God rested on the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. God rested. Why? Now, this is the really cool thing. After every one of the first six days, what did he say? After he created it. It's good. It's good. It's like he kind of exhaled after that work. Man, that was good. And then after six days, what did he do? He said, it is very good. This is what real rest is. You ready? Being fully satisfied with work completed. You ever, you ever made something really good and after it just looked at it and was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, for some of you, like you just finished a semester at school and like you poured yourself out. Like you worked ridiculously hard to get through that semester and through that whole academic year. And at the end, after you finished that last test and you knew it was good, like you just sit afterwards, you're like, done. And in that moment, you can rest, Right? Like in every moment leading up to that moment, there's no rest. You know what I'm saying? Like you're restless and you've been having those dreams. I talked to a couple students this week. They were like, man, I have that reoccurring dream that I show up at the exam and I never studied for it. And like, you know, I'm going to fail in that moment. Anybody ever had that academic dream? Yeah, that's all the time. But real rest is being utterly satisfied with work well done. That's what real rest is. But rarely do we ever feel that at the end of a day, right? In your working days. When, when was the last time you got home from your work or your job or watching your kids if you're a stay-at-home mom and you got at the end of the day and you were like, man, that was perfect. Man, it's so rare that we ever get to that place where we kind of exhale in a beautiful, deep way. Instead, most of us, when we get home at the end of the day, we feel incomplete. Like, man, that was frustrating. I was just in the hamster wheel all week. You know, my, my coworkers were driving me nuts. My kids were bonkers. Like, and you get to the end of the day and what do you just want to do? You just want to escape for a little bit, right? Man, I was talking to my, my neighbor. We were driving in the car this week together and you know, we're talking about that and how like at the end of the day, you just want to numb. He's like, man, some things are just so frustrating that all I want to do is just have a moment to just escape, you know? 
I just want to get away from it all. And I'm telling you, like church planning has been one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. And in some of the hardest seasons, you know where my wife and I go? <laughs> the office, because we got to realize some people are just dumber than we are, you know? Anybody else find relief in like some people are just dumber than you are? <laughs> like, in the seasons where you just feel like, man, I blew it today. My day was just incomplete. I was harsher than I needed to be to this person. I really didn't do that well. I put so much time and effort into it and it still came up incomplete. You just want to numb and escape. But here's the crazy thing with that. When we're tempted to numb and escape, we never actually get the real rest that we were designed to have. Let me, let me kind of articulate for you just a little bit of the difference between real rest and leisure. This is mind uh, opening for me this week, okay? Uh, one, reader, uh, one writer that I've been reading this week, his name is Andy Crouch. Uh, I mentioned him last week. He wrote a book called The TechWise Family. Beautiful book. It's a small book. But he outlines the difference between rest and leisure and work and toil. Work is work that you feel satisfied in. It's work that you, you did with your hands and you completed it. It's done. It's just like, man, that was really great. Toil is like meaningless work. And that was one of the curses at the very beginning, that we were going to be, we we're going to toil by the sweat of our brow. We we're going to feel like things were just rough at the end of the day, most work days. That's toil. Rest is being satisfied with finished work, but leisure, this is different, is an escape from work by consuming what others have had to work for. Think about that for a second. If you're watching a sports game in that moment, like you might feel like that's restful, but what you're actually doing is you're, you're tuning your mind into something that someone else has to work for in that moment. It's leisure. You're sitting there consuming something. And like, really not even until recently did we even have the privilege of doing that. It was mostly like kings and nobilities that could actually engage in any leisure because they were the ones who could actually purchase someone else working for their own rest. But nowadays, we've got entertainment at our hands no matter what. And I'm telling you right now, like, you can't tell me that when you're watching the Patriots play and they're like, you know, right down to the last minute there, you're not a little bit anxious about it. You're watching work. And something on the inside of us gets stirred up. It's the same thing with TVs and shows. Like, we get all worked up in that moment when we're watching it, and it's not true rest. It's not. We've purchased leisure at the expense of someone else's rest and our brains actually don't get the moment to actually sit in the quiet and really, truly rest. Any Crouch articulates it this way. Technology has done a great deal to replace rest with leisure, the fruitless escape from labor. It's a kind of rest that doesn't really restore our souls. It doesn't restore our relationships with others or God. It's crucially, um, it's a kind of rest that doesn't give others the chance to rest. Uh, Leisure is purchased from other people who have to work to provide us our experiences of entertainment and rejuvenation. We're engaged in work without working. We can't turn our minds off. And he says it's not only a violation of God's command to rest, but it actually is another form of slavery. Because when you can't say no to something, that's the epitome of slavery. Slaves don't ever get a chance to rest. When you can't say no to something and you're constantly engaged in that connectivity, it is a form of slavery. He says, there's another form of slavery to systems of injustices, that the, and that's the slavery of the imagination. Many of us are not as captive to round-the-clock, never-ending demands as we believe we are. We can say no. Instead, we are our own jailers. We're prisoners of our own insecurity. Will I still have this job if I take two solid weeks of vacation and rest? We're, we're, we're prisoners of our pride. How can people get along without me? I've got to stay connected. I've got to stay in, involved in work. I've got to manage this. 
We're prisoners of our fantasies. What if I miss an email telling me that I've won the lottery? It's like what we do basically every time we look at entertainment online. And we're prisoners to cultural capitulation. We reason like this is just how the world is now. Why would I act any differently? He says, for, the door, for us, the door to a better life is only locked from the inside. Now, I think this, this is where the rub kind of meets the road for me. I've been asking people, like, why do you guys escape so much? You know, even asking my own soul, like, why do, why do I escape so much? And I think it's, we're deathly afraid of the quiet and the silence because of what we're going to find when we get there. We'd rather numb because life actually is just too painful. Um, years ago, um, yeah, it's kind of vulnerable for me, but like years ago, uh, I lost my best friend. And it wasn't because he died. It was because we just got completely disconnected. Uh, it's my triplet brother, actually. And um, we were best friends growing up, did everything together. And then something happened where he just went off the radar. He met a girl. They moved across the country and literally went off the radar, never communicated with us at all. It was just done. And for months, we were left guessing, what happened? What happened? We'd reach out, get nothing back. Reach out, get nothing back. Nothing. And for months and months and months, I just, like, where did my triplet brother and my best friend go? Um, But what I did is I just kind of stuffed it, and I kept my life busy, and I numbed, and I just didn't allow myself to think that anymore. I just didn't go there. I didn't want to face the pain of my past. I just numbed it. Until one day, two years in, we were still wondering what in the world happened. I'll never forget it. It was here in Nashville just a couple years ago. And I finally let myself feel. Instead of running away from it and just escaping it, in that moment, I let myself feel. And instead of immediately going to my phone or immediately running to a friend, I just sat in my bedroom and wept. And I just said, God, I just want my brother back. Now, the beautiful thing is when we let ourselves go down those paths and sit in the quiet and the empty space and allow our souls to even go down those dark paths, only then do we give God the room to start healing us and restoring us in the moments where we're most broken. There's probably some people in this room today that you got some dark paths. Life's spit you up, chewed you out, and you've shoved it all under the rug. And the busyness and the pace of your life and the constant connectivity you have to online things has so removed that from your brain that you just don't want to even go there anymore. And I encourage you right now, make room for that. Sit in the quiet and let the tears come. That's okay. Because Sabbath wasn't just a moment for us to just not do work. Sabbath was a moment for us to find healing and restoration in the deepest parts of who we are. That's what God created it for. It's for that level of healing. There was a, a comedian who went on the Conan O'Brien show not that long ago. Uh, and while he was on the show, he articulated a moment where he was driving and he had a pretty rough day uh, and just didn't want to face how hard that day was. Uh, and he was tempted in that moment to text 50 people while he was driving. He's like, the reason we text people in the car is because we just don't want to have a second of being alone. Anybody else? You put on a podcast, music, anything when you jump in the car, just anything to not be alone. 
He said he was so tempted to text 50 people in that moment. And then a Bruce Springsteen song came up on the radio that reminded him of some really dark moments in his past. And instead of going to his phone, he pulled off the side of the road and just wept. And in the weeping, he said a beautiful thing happened. Not only did he start discovering depths of his soul that he had not seen for a long time, but God also started opening up some of the more beautiful things in life as well. And when you numb, when you numb, and when you numb, and when you busy, 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 your soul becomes this small. But when you open up your soul to the quiet, it starts growing and getting bigger. And yeah, your dark moments might get darker, but your beautiful moments and enjoying life starts getting greater. And some of us have become so emotionless because we've numbed for so long that we don't know what it means to feel anymore. He said, there is, if there is no dark night of the soul, there is no morning of hopefulness. And man, this is what the Pharisees did. In this moment where the Pharisees are like, they're coming at Jesus and they're attacking him and they're, 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 all they're doing is saying, why are you doing this? What they're doing in that moment is they're trying to control. And this is what we do when we're busy and we, we surround ourselves with technology. All we want to do is control, control, control. Because if, if I embrace the, the vulnerability of quiet and silence, then I'm out of control. And that's why so many teenagers are having a really hard time living without this at their constant fingertips because they feel so out of control. I can't control a face-to-face conversation. I'd rather send a text. I can't control the moments in life if there's no noise around me. I don't know where my emotions are going to go. And this is what the Pharisees do. They're controlling. They're saying, I'd rather obey 39 rules of how not to do the Sabbath than actually engage people in what they need in that moment. Jesus and his companions were hungry. They needed food. But the Pharisees are like, I'd rather live controlled than embrace vulnerability. Even if it means looking past a man with shriveled hand that could get healing in one single second. I'd rather live with control than trust in the vulnerability and the emptiness. And that's why Jesus looks at him and says, you have no idea. Trust me, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. In Isaiah, it says, in returning and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Because you're busy, 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 busy. Here's the only way that you can find rest for your soul. Are you ready for this? If the true definition of rest is being utterly satisfied in work well done, then you and I can't truly rest ever if you're looking only to yourself. Because you and I both know that we're imperfect people in this room, right? None of us are ever gonna have perfect lives, perfect work, perfect any paths. There's only one person who is perfect. And do you know what he said on the cross when he died for us, for you and for me? He said, it is finished. He did the work that you and I could not do when he, when he bore the sin and the weight of our imperfection on the cross so that you and I would never have to look imperfect to a holy God ever again. Jesus came in and lived the perfect life that we needed to live and died the perfect death in our place, substituting himself on the cross so that before almighty God, we could look at him and he can look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is finished. Rest for your soul. That's what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ does. And so in Hebrews 4, 9, and 10, it says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who through the gospel enters God's rest, rests from his own work as God rested from his. 
If you ever watched the movie Chariots of Fire, anybody watched Chariots of Fire? Beautiful movie. It's actually one of the most beautiful movies talking about the Sabbath. Uh, you've got two different runners. Back in the 1924 Olympics, this is a true story. Uh, you had um, a guy named Eric Little and another guy named Harold Abrams. And they're running for, uh, they're competing and they're, they've spent their entire life running for uh, the gold medal in the 100 meter dash. This is way back in the day, so they weren't jacked like our 100-meter dash runners are. They're skinny little twerps, but they were running for their lives. And Eric Little was, was positioned to get the gold medal. He was the favorite. And yet at the end of the movie, what does he do? He's, he actually foregoes the entire event because it was held on a Sunday. He said, I will not run on the Sabbath. And that's final. Whereas Harold Abrams, in the moment, the night before leading up to the event, in the movie, it's a beautiful moment. Uh, it's, it's haunting, really. He looks at the person who's, who's training him in the moment, and he says, I've got 10 lonely seconds to justify my entire existence. But will I? He was running for his identity and his worth and his value. He was keeping his life busy and constantly connected so that he would find his life, whereas the other one had already found it. He could say no to something that he was the best at because his identity and his self-worth was found in Jesus Christ. Here's the good news, guys. You and I, we can say no. We can say no to certain things in our life to actually sit in the quiet and find rest. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some really practical things now. The last thing is when Jesus looked at that man with the shriveled hand uh, and he, he asked him to hold his hand out there, what did he do? When he healed the man's hand, it said, and his hand was completely restored. Here's the filter by which we understand how to really rest in life, okay? What's restorative? What's really restorative? Like if you binge watch on Netflix, man, you don't feel super awesome about yourself. That's not restorative. You might convince yourself in that moment that it's restful, but it's not restorative. So here's a suggestion. You ready? One day, uh, one hour a week, Sorry, one hour a day. I want you to, to think about going without your phone for one hour a day. Set aside an intentional hour of every single day and not look at your phone, not look at TV, not look at anything, but just sit in the quiet. And then one day a week, turn your phone off completely. I've been practicing this for the past month. It's actually been completely restorative for me. I've been more engaged in my kid's life. I've been more engaged, more present with my wife. I've spent more time with God on those days off. My Fridays are my Sabbath day because I get to work on Sundays. Uh, so I turn my phone off all day on Friday. And some of you are like, man, I've been trying to reach you. Look, you can't reach me on Fridays. This thing goes off, okay? Seriously, like, don't, don't try calling me or texting me on Fridays because I turn it off. Because I know in that moment, this is what I've been learning from, about myself. I need this. I need to shut it all off. So one hour a day, one day a week, and then think about an entire week a year. And if your hand starts trembling at the thought of turning your phone off for an entire week, you know that you're addicted and you need to shut it off, Okay. But not, not, not even just your phone. Think about shutting off work. Think about shutting off some of the things in your life that are ruling you or controlling you and get to the place where you're restoring yourself. You're getting to the things where that you really need. Okay, other really practical things. And then we'll, we'll close out here. I, I know I'm running the risk of going a little bit long. I'm super passionate about this because it's been like life-changing for me. So bear with me for just one last second. Um, some of you need sleep. You need to sleep. <laughs> Okay, our culture right now is terrible when it comes to sleep, like sleep. Some of you are like, man, I pride myself on four to five hours uh, a night. I'm like, that's stupid. 
Just sleep. Like designate that time to sleep because like we, we need basically a third of our life to be in bed. Just sleep. Get some sleep. Uh, Psalm 127 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Here's the good news. God never sleeps. So he's going to do the work while you're sleeping. Trust him in that. Let go of the control and just sleep. Uh, one, one guy said, do avocational things. Like, like if you enjoy fishing and you're not a fisherman, go fish. That's okay. That's restful. If you're a fisherman, don't fish. Okay. Like, I like golfing. I like playing uh, volleyball. That's restorative. That's okay. That's play. Play is a good thing for your rest. Like, go play. God, he created you to enjoy this good creation. Go play. Contemplative stuff. Open your mind to actually reading things that are good for your soul, okay? Like, read. It's okay. In a world of this, we have lost the art and the skill of reading. Reading is so good for you. But don't read leadership books about your work. Don't le- read, you know, books about like, you know, the things that you do all, all, all week long. Like read things that are going to restore your soul. Silence and nothing. Okay, that's going to be really hard. Schedule in nothing time. And I mean nothing time. And if your soul goes to dark places, that's okay. Let it and let God meet you in there to expand your soul. Finally, you can't do this without community. If you're going to allow your soul to go to dark places in that quiet, empty place, like you can't do it alone. Because if you do, like some of us legitimately are going to be on the brink of suicide or dark things, okay? I mean that. You've got to do this with friends. Let people in your life. Share life together. Because only as we do that and as we embrace God and embrace friendship and embrace quiet and solitude is God going to start expanding our soul. For some of us today, you've got to start saying no. You've got to start saying no to the busyness. And you've got to say yes to what God wants to do in your life. Open yourself up to Sabbath rest and your life will be restored. Let's pray. God, we're so bad at this. I'm, I've been terrible at it, Lord. And I admit, Lord, that there have been moments where I feel like I've lost a bit of my soul in the way. And man, I just pray for myself and my friends in this room and for everyone who's watching online, God, I pray that we would, we would get to the place where we experience real rest for our soul. That we'd, we'd actually be able to say no. And in saying no, that you'd open up our soul to the greatest yes of knowing you and embracing your finished work so we can exhale and just be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.